I'm Jake McGill and my guests in this episode are two Gaelic football legends. In the first half I'm chatting to Tyrone midfielder and on Ireland winner Con Kilpatrick about all things GA, living the dream and of course lifting the Sam Maguire. Then in the second half Oshin McConville, Armagh forward and all-star, talks with Con Kilpatrick about their experiences with gambling addiction, a growing problem amongst young people in Ireland. We're broadcasting here from the heart of Newry City, where we're guests of Newry Parish Youth Forum. My first guest is Con Kilpatrick, an Eden Dork native, and recognised, I suppose, by donning the number nine shirt and leading Tyrone to uh, an All-Ireland victory in his debut championship season. He also, this led him to be recognised as a, with an Irish News GA Ulster All-Star Award. So we're delighted to be joined with, by him today. And I suppose it's as close maybe as an Armagh man has got to an All-Ireland title for some time. Um, hopefully that will change in due course. Thank you very much, Con, for joining us uh, today. No problem. Thanks for having me. To begin, how does it feel to be an All-Ireland winner? Yeah, Jake, it's, it's a great feeling. Um, as, as youngsters growing up playing Gaelic football, you, you obviously want to play for, for your club seniors first um, and then you hopefully make the mark on your county setup. Um, and then w when you are there, you, you've obviously won eye on the prize and, and that's the Sam Maguire. And just falling off the back of last year, we, we were lucky enough to, to get our hands and walk mm. up those Hogan steps. So it was really the stuff of dreams. Absolutely. Yeah, I suppose touching upon the dreams there, walking up the steps to lift the Sam Maguire, so many emotions, so many hopes and aspirations coming to the fore. I suppose going back to that September afternoon, what was your personal standout memory from the final? Uh, I think um, it was all just a complete blur, to be honest. Um, the game passes you by and the day passes you by so quick. Um, but obviously re-watching the match, it was probably the goal that we did score at the end where us three club boys, me, Niall and, and Darren were involved. I know Conor McKenna was involved as well, but personally, um, and from a community point of view, we, we were all involved in that goal and it, it probably had a major impact on the game. So that was probably the standout moment in, in the final anyway. Absolutely. A crucial moment in the 50th minute of the match. I can remember it very well where the feeling was crucial in the centre of the pitch and obviously led to, to the superb goal that sealed, sealed the game. I suppose you touched upon their, uh, the dream of any young player setting off as an underage member of their club uh, and the desire to, to play for their county, to represent their county and of course to lift the Sam Maguire. What drew you to, to Gaelic Games? Why did you become involved? Um, I think it's, it's the family that I grew up in, first of all, was like my dad played for Throne back, back whenever he was the right age for it. Mm -hmm. um, on my mother's side, they were big Eden Dark men. Um, my granddad obviously pushed it for, for me to play for Eden Dark because my father obviously played for Dungannon um, and, and he wasn't going to allow that. But then just growing up in, in the community, there's not very much in Eden Dark. There's a school. Um, there used to be an old filling station and there's the football pitch. Um, it's basically a road between like, next to Gannon and Cal Island, so football was, was the main thing for everybody and, and I just obviously enjoyed it from the get-go um, and I've always stuck at it. 
absolutely. I suppose the only focus, what else would you be doing in Eden Dork yeah. other than playing football? Exactly. Really. Excellent. And I suppose, you know, to uh, you talked about the influence there of, of people on your career. You talk about, obviously, your father played for a different Gaelic team, your grandfather's influence on playing for Eden Dork. I suppose, what, what were you thinking about their influence as you won the All-Ireland title? Yeah, well, well, my dad would, would have a big influence on me. Um, he tells me what I've done right and, and mostly what I've done wrong and how I can improve. So he's always kind of given me bits of advice on how to get one up on the opponents that I'm going to be coming up against and all around how to be a better player and a team player. So he would have a massive um, influence on me. And then obviously from my granddad's side um, my, and my uncles, they would push me on and, and say... We, I had an uncle that died young and, and he was... Mickey Hart said that he was probably the next Dumbledore star that that he had seen, um, so that was kind of always in the back of my mind that our field was recently just named after him, and probably thinking of him as well and what he potentially could have done and what I am kind of doing now is has pushed me on that wee bit more. Absolutely, giving giving you the edge and it's a it's a victory. People talk about winning All Ireland titles, of course, it's a victory for a community, but it's the production of a number of families as part of a community and all of the influence influences that they play and uh, they contribute to to a player's uh, development. So, uh, absolutely, I suppose it's a it's an immense a sense of a uh, gratitude gratitude for those who coached you, for those who guided your career, the influences and the. I suppose what I call the influencers really on the career and also the inspirations. As a young player and as growing up, uh, who were you know your heroes? You mentioned your uncle there um, that you, lo- you, you lost uh, early in your life. Who, who, were your, uh, who were your influences? Who were your heroes? Well, if you're talking on a, on a football scene, like growing up and playing against some of the players that I've obviously looked up to, you're talking about David, David Moran. Um, obviously Fenton w- was starting his career whenever I was still young and, and not even on the panel but if you're going back even further you're talking about the likes of Canavan and, and Kavna um, they were at the forefront of the throne setup, and whenever throne were doing well in the noddies and then if you're pushing back to home it was it was probably my dad and, and again my uncles and, and my grandfather that that kind of pushed me on um, probably knew that I had the potential and obviously the coaches as well I probably wasn't the best underage um, youngster to, to, to coach um, I was as a midfielder you need a bit of both but as a youngster I was I was pushing forward a lot and not doing a lot of tracking back so um, there, there's definitely a lot of people that have spurred me on to become the player I am today and and ultimately the success that we have falls back on them because they started from the grassroots. Absolutely it's interesting there you know you mentioned about other people seeing the potential your potential as a player I suppose you know um seeing the potential of a player, seeing how, how good someone can be, it's difficult to appreciate input and feedback and criticism, at a, particularly at a, at a young age. Maybe you were too interested in going forward, not so much into the dirty side of the game. So what, at what stage for your career can you, th- can you remember maybe thinking, okay, I need to start listening here to what advice they're, they're offering? I think probably in, in the latter teenage years um, I really started doing it because I was coming up against bigger and better players and older players once I pushed on to the, mm. the senior scene for Eden Dark. Um, I knew that I needed to track back and we obviously had, I was one of the youngest players so I was been told more by the other players like you need to track back, you need to, you need to work hard for the team and, and then obviously when I came up into the throne setup, I knew like what Fergal and Brian were about this year and I knew if I didn't push on and, and help the team out more than I just wouldn't be playing so 
I think it's a, it's a number of factors that that have helped me to do that. Absolutely, and there are many things you know when we play as part of a team. There are many things that we enjoy doing, many things that we would prefer to do. But of course, when you're part of a team, you have to be willing to contribute to all aspects of the team performance. You've touched upon, I suppose, a number of elements: family, parish, community, um, the the draws of of Gaelic games, and the draws have been involved in sport. What do you think are the, the main selling points of being involved? What have you taken most from being involved with Gaelic Games? Um, I, th- I think we kind of touched upon it earlier. Definitely a club, it's a whole community scene. Like You're playing with your friends and your family, the boys you grew up with and went to school with, the older men that you looked up to whenever you were young, playing for your club seniors, and, and they're now obviously coaching us. Um, I think it's just... we. we we obviously play for the love of the game. We're an amateur sport at the end of the day. We don't we don't get paid, um, and I think that there is is the real attraction that it is hunger and desire that that brings, not just inter county players but obviously club players to to play. And obviously you have the attraction of rugby and and soccer at home, um, which you might get a few pound from. But if it's really the love of the game that everybody comes and and plays. Absolutely, and I suppose the hunger and the desire, and that's exactly what's needed to continue to progress, to continue to drive for more, and I know we've spoken off camera as well about your desire to go again for more titles, for more uh, success with Tyrone. Hunger and desire is is, uh, absolutely necessary. But at the same time, I'm aware a lot has been said about the demands of inter-county football. A lot has been said about the demands associated with this particular this particular challenge plan for your county. Um, I suppose I would like to get a sense of how do you manage the demands and the sacrifices of the role? Yeah, it is quite demanding. And you maybe are out three, four, five nights a week. But like I said... We all are there because we love playing the sport. We love representing our clubs and our counties. Um, and it's just about managing your time. Obviously, people have work and, and, and other hobbies to do, but if you really are dedicated to it and you really want to be there, you'll make them sacrifices. And coming off the back of last year, it, it was worth every sacrifice that we made. Um, we obviously put in a lot of hard work and, and did make the sacrifices to get to where we are today. Um, and we're just ready to, to do that again, and, and hopefully you never know what happens in the future. Absolutely. And I suppose you, you touch on there the, the purpose. It fills you with a great sense of purpose representing your, your county and obviously the success that can come with that. And that's what fuels then your desire, your hunger to keep going and to keep uh, committing to a, the need for the sacrifices that are involved. I suppose, you know, in any role, in any walk of life, whether it be performing at a high level for your county or, or whether it be in your job, whether it be at school, in any walk of life, there are demands associated with a role. And given the success that you've had playing for your county, I suppose I'm conscious that many young people today can easily fall into unhealthy ways of living and coping with pressures and demands. So what message or advice would you offer to a young person about managing uh, demands, managing expectations? Yeah, if you are out there and, and you're having struggles with demand and everything, I would just reach out to somebody, a, a close family member or a friend, because ultimately they, they want to help you just as much as you want to help yourself. And, and I know I've reached out in the past and, and you may find it difficult, but once you break that barrier, first barrier down um, and put yourself open for a bit of help, then the world's your oyster. You, mm. You'll get plenty more than, than what you thought you would get initially. Mm, absolutely. And I know uh, 
I'm a great believer that if someone makes a mistake, no, a footballer makes a mistake, they don't need told a second time that they made it. They know themselves. So everybody has can have a bad game, a bad day. Um, everybody can make mistakes. Who is your go-to person, I suppose, when maybe a game hasn't gone as well as you would have wanted it to go? Um, for me personally, I, I don't really think that I go, I go to one particular person. Mm. Um, I try to analyse my own game, and yes, people have their input, but... I'm not too fond of being told that I did something wrong, to be honest, but I kind of know myself, and like I said earlier, my dad will always have, have an input, even if I don't want it, he'll, he'll still let me know, so I think that's, that's where I get mine from. That's right, and I suppose the reflection too, I suppose it's so important, because that, that sense of purpose, that sense of you know, fueling the, the desire and the hunger, that comes from within, you have to want it yourself yeah. in order to keep improving, um, and that's I suppose very, very healthy advice for any young person who may be finding the demands of life or any particular role in life difficult, to, to manage. I suppose I know that in the second part of today's discussion you're going to talk to Oshin uh, McConville about your story in relation to, to addiction and particularly mm -hmm. gambling. To touch on that I suppose at this stage there are particularly during the pandemic during what we've just come through there are a number of a uh, I suppose people saying that more and more people are turning to a unhealthy habits to cope with pressure mm -hmm. um, and one of those would be gambling so from your perspective you know do you think that a gambling has become too accessible every game that you watch particularly I'm thinking of soccer there's there's even there's a betting company sponsoring soccer teams in the the advertisements between the two games there a those betting companies as well are, are featuring so is gambling too readily accessible? Is it being encouraged too much in society? Yeah, well, I think it is very accessible for, for young people. Like, I know whenever I started, it, it was very young, maybe 15, 16. And yes, I, w I was doing it innocently with my dad and my brother. Um, it was maybe a £5 bet just for a bit of crack and a bit of bonding. But as I kind of grew into it more, 16, 17-year-olds, I was able to, to go into the bookies and, and not really get asked for any ID. Um, and then again, I made online accounts. I used my name, or my father's name, about my bank account details, and they didn't really ask for any proof of, of ID or anything like that. So that's how easy it was for me. And, and I could have had two or three accounts um, with different sites, and, and none of them really pressured me into asking for ID or, or taking the money at the end of the day. Absolutely, so very easily accessible. Yeah. I suppose that raises major, I suppose, questions then of all, of all of us, particularly thinking from a GA perspective, but wider society as well. What more do you think can be done to uh, educate the culture, to educate young people about the risks associated with uh, gambling? Yeah, th there's quite a number of things that have been done, but there, there's a club from Leash um, that I was made aware of just l earlier in the week. Um, there's a man, Tim, trying to, as inter-county players, we have to do an anti-doping uh, scheme, um, basically that makes you aware of all the do's and the don'ts, um, and he's trying to introduce like a drug, alcohol and, and gambling scheme, um, starting down a, as low as probably 15, 16-year-olds. Um, and it's basically, I think it's a great idea t to make people even aware of of the consequences that and the effects that it can have, not just individually, but as collectively as a team. Maybe things to look out for if if you think somebody is at something, um, like if they, if they're on drugs, maybe they're losing weight, or if they are gambling, they're they're in mood swings or, or things like that. So um, 
I think the GAA are generally quite good because we don't have mm. advertising at halftime and, and around Croke Park and around Gaelic pitches. Um, so I do think that there is things being done, but but this scheme that, that may be introduced um, could definitely make people aware from a young age and, and obviously the older players are, are made more aware of it as well. Absolutely, and awareness is so important because that's the helps to ensure that the right support's in place uh, for anyone who may be going through the difficulties yeah. uh, associated with gambling. You touched upon it there, like in your in your opinion, how widespread do you think the culture of gambling is in the GA? <laughs> it's it's massive to be honest. Like I still, even just thinking from back home and and different things that have been at, like everybody, I'd say ninety to ninety five percent of of men and maybe women on the teams have have had a bet, and a large proportion of them are are doing it mm. continuously. Um. It's maybe not talked about enough, and people are that secretive about it that people mightn't know about it. Um, so I think if, if more people are made aware of the effects that it can have on somebody, then there's maybe a few signs that they, they can see in their personality or, or their, their everyday life that may link them back to, to what they're doing secretively. And of course that emphasises the importance of the conversation that we're having today and the conversation that you will have with Oshin McConville today as well. Given the widespread nature of um, of the of the challenges associated with gambling, I suppose before we be go any further, what what are the what are the hopes and dreams now for you moving forward individually, personally, but obviously in a sporting capacity? Yeah, well, well first and foremost, that that I do obviously continue to stay off the gambling. Mm-hmm. Um, it's obviously an, an everyday struggle, and, and people who are in that kind of circle will, will know um, but on a sporting level it's it's probably just to see where we can continue on from last year I know we haven't had the, the best start to the league and and yes people are blaming things like the holiday and maybe a few injuries and stuff but um, we'll continue to put the shoulder to the wheel and we'll continue to work hard every day and, and you never know hopefully an Ulster title and an All-Ireland title is in the future and we'll always push ourselves to, to stay at the top table with, with the likes of Dublin and Kerry um, and Mayo, so I definitely, personally, um, I want to keep my starting jersey as well. Uh, I know Brian and Fergal have a wide um, squad to pick from, and anybody can play on any day. So it's it's about me going back to the drawing board and starting again and improving myself. Absolutely, and that constant improvement, that's what defines athletes at the top level. And of course, you feel to mention our man, that list <laughs> of, of counties as well. You know, you'll join them at the top table. Um, look... Thank you very much, uh, Con. That brings us to the end of our first half. Um, thank you for being our first guest on the podcast. Uh, you're going to return in a few moments where you'll be talking with Oshin McConville about your experiences and obviously Oshin's with gambling addiction and recovery. So you can stay tuned for that. Thanks very much. Thank you. If you've been affected by any of the issues raised in this episode, please visit the Irish Bishops Drugs Initiative website at www irishbishopsdrugsinitiative.ie for further information. Hello, I'm Marshall McConville and uh, former AMA f- footballer. Um, I'm joined here today by Con Kilpatrick. I suppose if you're thinking two very unlikely people to be in the same room uh, and not having each other in headlocks, <laughs> <laughs> um, it, would be, it would be myself and yourself, Con. Um, especially after the recent goings-on with our man Tyrone. But we're not really here to talk about sport as such. 
uh, directly anyway, we're here to talk about, I suppose, about you know, our struggles and experiences um, through life and through gambling. Um, we're going to just probably start off by talking about how we landed on gambling. And some people, I often hear people, you know, introducing their, themselves, especially, you know, who, people who are in recovery. And they'll say, you know, my drug of choice was alcohol or my drug of choice was cocaine. I suppose my drug of choice was, was gambling. And I suppose it's interesting to describe it as a drug because um, if I'm thinking of something to instantly um, change the way I feel and not in a healthy way, um, I thought of gambling. That's where uh, my thoughts immediately went or to um, how do I get into a bookies? How do I get the ammunition to get into a bookies? And how do I feed my habit? And I suppose initially I gambled because of huge insecurities, uh, especially around school and how academic I was. And um, I always felt people were laughing at me or if I put my hand up to answer a question or I probably wouldn't put my hand up to answer a question because I'd be afraid in case I was a million miles away from the answer and uh, I suppose all those insecurities built inside me and then I was looking for something outside of school and sport and I found gambling one day and realistically that could have been anything it could have been drugs or it could have been alcohol in a completely different set of circumstances but for me it was gambling why was it gambling for you? Yeah, well, probably when I started first off gambling, it started so innocently. Um, like my dad and my brother were on a, a fiver bet um, at the weekend on, on the soccer teams. And and probably that was just, at the time, it was just a bit of crack. And like I say, obviously, I went with my father. Like, I, I no way um, like blame him for, for me becoming what, what I probably became, but, but he... What was with us at the time, and it was so innocent. It was probably just a bit of bonding, um, and then I found myself probably looking at, at soccer more. Like I wouldn't be a massive, I obviously love Gaelic far more than I, I love soccer, but I probably found myself looking at the soccer games more and, and seeing if if the bets came up. Um, and when I grew older, and it started becoming a, a more recurrent habit, um, I was in in the bookies more often. I was I wasn't just doing it in soccer, I was I was introduced to the horses. Why why the why dogs. did change why did change from soccer? If you wanna explain maybe explain a little bit that just why did change from soccer? Probably because when you walk in all the TVs are dogs, horses and, and the roulettes machines are flashing in front of you. Probably just the attraction of them more. Um and again the race is over a lot shorter than than waiting ninety minutes for a soccer game. So I probably obviously got the hit quicker. Um, I used to I used to hang about with with guys Con and used to say I uh, I backed Man United to win the Premier League or something. I'm going Premier League. Mm -hmm. That takes nine. You know, that takes nine or ten months. There's yeah. no way I can't wait nine or ten minutes. No, Do I mean even sense. in the end? Like I used to laugh at people at one stage who used to gamble on like you know fantasy uh, racing or yeah. virtual racing. And I used to laugh at them people, but in the end, that was mainly what I gambled on because it was over quick and you could yeah. get going again. Like, you know? Yeah, no, I was the exact same. I like, don't think I've ever put a bet on like who's going to win the, the All Ireland series from the start of the championship or who's going to win the Premier League or the Champions League. But um, I would ultimately want that fast kind of 
transaction to, to, to go ahead as soon as possible if it was spinning £20 on the roulette table or it was looking at a, a, a dog coming out of the traps or a horse I probably went for the the shorter races even in the horse racing rather than the, the one miles I would go for the five furlongs or seven furlongs so um, yeah. that's kind of where I started off mine When did you realise it was an issue? I was actually thinking about this on the road up I probably never came to the conclusion that I had an issue um, like I, I never consciously thought like you need to stop here but obviously looking back at it now I, I had a massive issue I always kind of if I went into the bookie say with £500 and I came in with nothing I would be cursing myself up and down on the road home but I never actually said to myself oh, you, you have an issue here um, to exp- how do we explain that stuff away like that's what I keep thinking I keep thinking when I tell my story I'm looking at faces in the crowd and I'm going do you think I'm? Do you know? Do you, yeah, they think we're we are like on from a different planet. Like, explain like they just just explain that part. It's, of it. it's hard. It's definitely hard to explain. Like if you're if you're not probably in that circle, you, you won't grasp the effect that that we obviously had. Um, but it it was probably just it was like the the hit like a drug abuser maybe got or yeah. or an alcoholic sitting in the pub and and getting drunk. Like that's just. For me, for me, and, and us probably personally, we, we just got enjoyment of, of trying to get a money essentially at the end of the day. And the whole reason that I probably started it, like really getting engrossed in it, was to have an extra few pounds to do things, to to have a few pounds later on in life to drive the nicest car or go on holidays or get the house. But that was that was all a fantasy at the end of the day. It was never a reality, and that's probably where where the downfall was. Like. Whenever, whenever I, obviously everything came out about me. Like the one thing I didn't want was people to kind of change about me because, like an example, we we done the club double there, two years ago or whatever, and obviously we were in the pub for a couple of days after, and there was horse racing and stuff going on, and people might have been going to the bookies to do a bet, but I didn't want people to to think that they had didn't have to do that because I was there because then. It, it, it puts me under a bit of pressure and it makes me feel uncomfortable like I shouldn't be here so but they obviously know my story at yeah. the end of the day so they are wary of it and, and they do obviously calm it down a bit just the the one where you say you know you go in with 500 quid and you come out with nothing and you think that it's not really a problem I, I suppose the way I would explain that that particular part of it was that I never shared my gambling with anybody, never never talked to anybody about it, I never voiced it to another person. So all of my thoughts were sort of internal thoughts. Yeah. So whenever I talked to me, I could talk to myself, I could be so self-loathing, I could hate myself, I could uh, have all manner of things going on inside my head. I, I, I at one stage, you know, had a plan of how it was going to take my life and the fact that... Um, people would be better off without me. And I suppose the the thing I kept saying to myself was, it's going to be different the next time. And uh, I, I'm not going to gamble in the same way. And I used to like get to the stage where I thought, never, ever, ever am I gambling again. It just brings misery. And like 20 minutes later, I could be hooking or scamming or scheming, or begging, borrowing, stealing to get the money to go and have the bet and again that's because all of those thoughts I had like one side of my brain was saying this is not a good idea and the other side would be saying no 
don't worry about it. It'll be completely different. Like I used to think, right, plan. I'm getting my wages on Friday. I'm going to set a certain amount of money aside, pay all the bills, etc. And I'm going to have this little amount of money that's going to that I'm going to gamble. And literally within 20 minutes of being in the bookies, all of those thoughts and those plans were completely out the window. Because I was chasing something that wasn't just about money. Mm-hmm. I started chasing things that I felt I had lost along the way, like self-respect, self-esteem, integrity, relationships, friendships, family members. I thought I could win all those things back by just, you know, having a bet in, you know, in the bookies. Like, And I suppose... When did I realise it was a problem? Probably when I was 26 or 7. But at that stage, I was too far into addiction even to arrest it for a day. Mm-hmm. Um, the first person to tell me that I was addicted was a nun. And you should never curse in front of a nun, but uh, I, I did because, you know what, I hated her for saying it. Mm-hmm. But I knew she was 100% right. And it was only then that I started admitting to, admitting to myself. How long did it take you to admit it to yourself? Um, probably, obviously, whenever I was off it for a year and a half, and then a relapse, and then we obviously were back in contact, and and you set me up with Trish, and I had that first Zoom call with her, and it was me and my mother sitting beside her, and I was the exact same to the way you were to the nun. Like I said, I'm never going back to her. I hated her, and I think she kind of grasped that there from a bit of my attitude. But the reason for that was because she was a hundred percent right and and identifying a lot of things and, and I just didn't want to hear it at the end of the day but going on from that we obviously became quite friendly and stuff and, and I have a lot of respect for her and I still keep in touch with her but probably that first Zoom call that I obviously it happened whenever COVID was about so I didn't drive down to her um, but probably from the, from that initial Zoom call I was like great I'm saying stuff here that nobody has ever heard of before Trish, Trish is your counsellor yeah yeah so I would say that that was probably one of the first times that I actually sat down by myself and was like, like I need to take a good hard look at myself here and just complain about everything. What do you think that is? We just don't want to hear. We just don't want, we didn't want to hear our own feelings, do we? No, I'd, I didn't probably want to let people closest to me down and, and let them know what type of person I had became. Like, I took money from my parents like a couple of years ago. It was a pouch of money sitting in the house and... Like it, it took me uh, two or three months after it all came out and after the kind of dust had settled to actually grab the bull by the horns and walk into the living room one day and say, you know, that money that went missing. Like my dad threw, thought he threw it in the bin and I led them to believe that they had lost it. But it probably took me a good three or four months after. Um, I just randomly walked into the living room one day and told them that, that, that the money that went missing was me. And, and they said, look, we had a fair idea, but we really appreciate you coming and actually telling us for yourself and and that was even further on down the line from from when obviously the the whole thing came out that's an interesting part of it to be honest because like i would have stole from my family as well in particular my mum and uh in her heart of heart she knew i I was stealing from her but she didn't want to admit that think of the effect you know when you think of the effect that gambling had like what was like people when people think about gambling, I think they think about the monetary thing. They think about the finances. It's the first thing they go, the grasp. Like, if you go and do a talk anywhere, the first thing people will say, what was the biggest win you had? Yeah. What was the biggest loss you had? 
how much we in debt after it and all that. And that's look at that's that's big part of it for us. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. But what other things was it affecting in your life? Like you know, you talk about you know family. Was that the biggest thing? Yeah, probably. Whenever I was really deep into it, like I just wanted to be by myself to keep myself. Like whenever I came in the door, went straight to the room and maybe went to train and came home and went to bed. Like there was no real family interaction, and that's a big part on on me because I was the reason for that. I just shut myself away and. Like it's not as if we don't have a, a good relationship in terms of things have happened, but I was just that quiet and that wanted to be by myself that I pushed everybody else away and and I, I hid a lot of things so I didn't want them to find it out. So that's probably the biggest thing that I still probably struggle with today is is opening up my emotions and, and letting people in because I just kind of grew up with dealing with things by myself, trying to find out the lies that I told, the, the money that I stole, trying to keep them in circulation so that it didn't kind of slip up and see the like you know obviously like I was at once told like you know winning all Ireland changes things winning an all Ireland f- football title it changes things changes people's perception of you and yet you come out and chatted about your struggles I mean even for me who you know was 14 15 years down the lane as far as recovery is concerned it was just unbelievably powerful but was there any stage where gambling threatened even the football side of things yeah like when I was probably in in the depths of of gambling like I didn't want to go to train and anytime I did go to I didn't want to go to train because I wanted to do a bet but I also wanted to go to train to get away from the betting scene but then while I was at train I was still thinking about if the teams won or if the horse won Um, so gambling definitely had a a factor in, in the football side of things and I still believe to this day if I was still gambling I wouldn't have been anywhere near that tone team and I definitely wouldn't have the medal in the back pocket but it's it's just it's great obviously hindsight's a wonderful thing and winning that All-Ireland and, and being part of that successful team it makes me think back to realise where that where I was and where I kind of am now so it, it'll kind of always be a, a reminder of this is what Anything's kind of possible if if you just set your mind it and, and stick to to what you know. Why was that? Why was that? Was it to do with preparation or it just takes a, for me a lot of the gambling end of things. A lot of um, what I was trying to do with my life. Well, I'm 46, and I'm not really still sure. I don't know what I want to do with my life, but. It, t- it took all the drive away, yeah. all that motivation and, you know, the power. T- we were always taught, you know, to power on, power through things. I couldn't power through things when I was gambling. Yeah, like whenever I was going to train, like as I said earlier, I wasn't thinking about training, whereas now I can go to train fully focused and listen to clear instructions, know my role in the team. And like if we are doing set plays, kickouts, different tactics, like I'm fully focused and... I could coherently listen and instead of being distracted like I was with the gambling. Like if if I was gambling and tactics were given out, I could be half listening to them and then that could be the domino effect of getting them wrong in the match day and ultimately why we could, we could lose the game. So with the not gambling, I just have a more clear head um, and I'm fully focused on kind of the job that I have on and off the field. And and like when you talk, I know you touched on sort of you know how you get how you got help and. I suppose that there's the whole thing about admitting it. For me, it was like just admitting it to one other person. That was my brother and sister. And when I 
admitted that I knew, regardless even if I gambled again, it was never going to be the same. I know you talked initially about um, how you got help. What about ongoing help? Yeah, well, ongoing help, I still go to the GA meetings. Um, obviously, we were away on a few holidays and stuff, so I haven't been to as many as I would like. And a lot of the time, football kicks in on, on the same day as an actual interaction meeting. Yeah. But there, there is this, the meetings online and Zoom. Um, still, I'm in contact with the sponsor. Um, still in contact with yourself and Trish. So there is always people out there. And even if I was finding it tough, I, like my girlfriend's there to talk to, my, my family who and my close friends who ultimately got me caught at the end of the day. Like I obviously never admitted to, to gambling, but I, I know if, if I really was struggling, they, they would be there to help and there would be no bother with me approaching them at any time. What's the biggest change in your life now? Um, probably just trying to open up more. Uh, I'm not hiding my emotions away, and like if I am struggling, it might take me a while to tell somebody, but I, I think I will. And I think just being more open and honest, and if I do something wrong or I'm annoyed at something, just telling somebody why I'm annoyed instead yeah. of bottling it all up. And I suppose for me, it was like I don't know what it's like to be in jail or locked up for any amount of time, but uh, for me, it was like freedom. Mm-hmm. Do you know not being a slave to addiction, and when when I talk about being a slave to addiction, it's not just people. It's not just the gamblers. It's not just walking into the bookies or gambling online or whatever. It's the it's the mental fortitude that we had to have in order to get the money together. Yeah. I mean, I think about that all the time, and I think about how did I actually manage to do that? How did I have the space in my head? to keep all those balls juggling in the air and I I just couldn't I that's one that's the reason why I stopped gambling. Mm-hmm. The reason why I stopped gambling is I couldn't take the pressure anymore. As a compulsive gambler I was a compulsive layer as well. And uh, I couldn't I couldn't keep laying anymore. Um it was too much pressure. The people I owed money to the hooking, the ducking, the diving I just couldn't do it anymore and, and that's why, you know, essentially I stopped gambling and when I say sort of, you know, it's like getting out of jail, the freedom of waking up in the morning and going, I don't have to gamble today. I don't even have to get any money together. Mm-hmm. I'm happy with what I have. I have a look around me and it's not that I have, you know, huge trappings or loads of material things that... I thought I wanted at one stage, but I have the things around me now that, you know, I need and that are important to me. Um, I suppose a lot of times when I, when we, people like us talk about recovery and we talk about um, our war stories and our gambling and, you know, where it brought us, uh, I think people sometimes think it's a bit of a sob story, but it's not, because we're the lucky ones, aren't we, really? Like, I obviously, whenever... I relapsed and was clean the second time. I obviously put it up on, on Instagram and then most recently it was in Clareburn and like I said on the posts and when I was there, like this isn't a sob story that I want people writing to me saying, oh, fair play to you and all this here. Like if, if my job kind of was to help at least one person, that's, you never know what, like they could commit suicide at the end of the day and if, if I help one person or, or a few people then that was my job done and it also it also keeps me honest, that's probably the main reason why I put it up because 
Chinese whispers would have would have been going about, and people would have probably changed the story and added wee bits and taken wee bits away. But if it's it's there for everybody to see, and and it's my it's coming from me, so there's not really much things people can change. And when we were talking about like when I got caught, it was the biggest weight that was lifted. Like it was obviously glad it was caught, and I was obviously a bit skeptical of it too because of the, I knew the hurt that was going to come out. Yeah. But like I can go to bed at night and, and sleep. I don't have to think of where I'm getting the next pound. I don't have to think of who I'm going to steal it off or who I'm going to borrow it off. I don't have people texting me saying, you owe me this, that and the other. Um, so it's, it's, it is great to, to just be kind of free from it. But it's still, we still get, I still get reminders of where not to go back to. And it still is a struggle seeing sometimes driving past the bookies or, or seeing... Advertising, what, 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 what about that stuff? Like, you're, you're a sports fan like myself. Like, I mean, like, it's very difficult to watch a sports event without, you know, seeing the odds and all that sort yeah, of stuff. Yeah, no, I know it is, but it's just something that we have to, to deal with. And, like, you know, you're not going to get um, betting taken away from the Premier League anytime soon. So it's it's just something that we have to deal with. And... I don't mind it probably coming up too because it reminds me like if, if I am in a comfort zone and that comes up it reminds me it makes me think back to what did happen um, and what I cannot go back to so um, it's kind of the best of both worlds but for people who haven't come out yet and, and admitted to, to gambling it's, it's obviously a struggle for them because it it makes them probably put on a bet quicker and if they already have a bet in the game they'll throw another bet on and, and they're just probably digging a deeper hole. Like I, I've been, I've been banging the drum for like proper legislation and regulation for some time now, and I suppose people always ask me if there's one piece of legislation that you would see coming in. I suppose the one thing that I would like to see would be that you can't gamble until you're 18 years of age, and that to be enforced properly. Yeah. And I think if we can do that, is there any one thing around legislation or regulation or something similar? Yeah, I would, I would probably be of the same point, but. Like I said earlier, like I was able to make an online account when I was fifteen, sixteen, and and still the same. Like it was so easy. Like they didn't ask me for proof of address, ID. They didn't. They were handy enough taking the money, but they weren't as handy giving the money back if if the money was in the bank. But I think like you need to to be enforcing that you have to be eighteen year old. You're you're obviously an adult, so you can make your own decisions. But it's still ultimately too accessible for, for young people these days even to walk into bookies they need to be ID'd and I'd say people are letting things slip a wee bit easily if, if you, know, you know that's such and such a son he's only in here doing a Gaelic bath for the weekend or stuff I think probably bookmakers themselves probably need to clamp down as well as the online yeah definitely think enforcement is, is the way to go and I think it's time for our politicians to, to, to stand up and be counted yeah. Um Really enjoyed it, Con. Always uh, love having a chat with you, and I think you know there's so many people because, like as I say, I'm 46 now, and and a lot of people who are coming up through and at 14, 15 years of age are starting to gamble. They're not really that interested, maybe in my story, but to like to have the likes of you coming on as a role model for them uh, kids is 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 brilliant. You don't know the effect you're having, so. Uh, thanks and keep up the good work and it's brilliant that we have spent uh, nearly half an hour in the same room and we're not even in a headlock yet so uh, yet. so <laughs> so thanks for that and thanks very catch much, you soon alright yeah totally
you've been affected by any of the issues raised in this episode, please visit the Irish Bishops Drugs Initiative website at www.irishbishopsdrugsinitiative.ie for further information. Look out for the next episode of Leave Your Mark, coming soon to YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was produced by Darren Butler and Lisa Murray for IBDI and Mark G. Byrne for chapterhouse.ie. The host was Jake McGill. The sound engineer was Mark G. Byrne for chapterhouse.ie.